Well, after about three weeks of looking at what love is, that is the uh, definitely the best quality that a Christian can offer, the love of Christ, because we know that that is what has been shed abroad in our hearts, and uh, God is love. And uh, as we have looked at it, and really looking for what it really is, not the uh, that worldly kind of love that we often think of, the world definitely thinks of. I have to agree with Leon Morris as we have uh, kind of worked our way through the first seven verses. And Leon Morris in his commentary said, Clumsy hands have touched a thing of exquisite beauty and holiness. Clumsy hands have touched a thing of exquisite beauty and holiness. I feel really inadequate as we go through here to try to describe this beautiful picture. And this beautiful picture is of Jesus Christ. Verses 4 through 7 is who He is. Jesus is patient. Jesus is kind. Jesus does not envy, does not parade itself, is not puffed up, and so on. That is where you can plug in that name. And how beautiful is this, this love chapter when we see it in its real essence of uh, the meaning of it. I think it's so convicting. We have said it's like walking through a minefield when we really look at the intricate details of what it's about. It's an action. The verbs are action words. That's, that's really what a verb is. Action words. Something that's doing something. We as Christians are to be dying to self, not being thinking about ourselves, but self-sacrificing. An act of self-sacrifice is a great uh, term or a thought for the idea of love. Now, Paul was bringing this kind of truth to the Corinthians who lacked love. And they lacked love in a huge way, didn't they? We've seen it through this first uh, 12 chapters as we move into 13 and then on forth. If they would have examined all of these words and see what they really meant as Paul put forth this terminology, they would have seen what their priority really was about. And uh, so far, what we've seen, that it's uh, a problem of pride. They were blessed with all the gifts. They had everything that they needed in that church. It was incredible what God had done. Uh, They thought their gifts were evidence that they had arrived. They thought they had come into perfection. And uh, they would tell you about it. They thought they were important. But the only problem is, um, God says that an important person esteems others better than themselves. Other people are seen as higher than them. Isn't that uh, quite the thought? So, they were on the opposite end of this, and they deserved instruction from Paul. And this kind of instruction is uh, a rebuking and exhorting uh, them that they would get to the point that they would self-sacrifice themselves for others. And um, we know that they had the gifts. And Paul now is going to say in this next section from verses 8 through 13 that those gifts are only meant for a while. Those gifts compared to the love of Christ fall far short. Those gifts are good for now, but to be honest with you, they're not going to last forever. They're not like what love really is. And uh, one of these days, they're going to be out the door when the perfect comes. And you'll say, what's the perfect? And hopefully we'll get to that today. And if not, we'll try to find out in a couple of weeks. (laughs) But uh, I think we're heading towards that way. Love will be forever. And that's really the emphasis on this, this text today. The gifts are imperfect. In the sense that when they're compared to love, they just do not match up. And that's what Paul is really striking out at here. Uh, Love is perfection. Love is eternal. Love is forever. And it's the God kind of love, not that wussy kind of love that we hear out in the secular world and even enters into our thoughts. We're talking about the God kind of love. The kind of love that died on the cross. 
when a father sends his son to die on the cross to pay a ransom for us guilty sinners who don't deserve it at all, that is love. Now, when you look at that, when you look at the cross, then you're seeing what love is. That is a tough act of self-sacrifice, isn't it? And of course, we're thinking about that as we move into Resurrection um, Week. Resurrection next week. So we celebrate that at this time. And that's, that's our perfect example of, of love. Now, as we enter into this last section of chapter 13, we've seen the noisy gongs and cymbals, right, and all of that. If you have no, the great knowledge and what have you, uh, but uh, you don't have love, you're nothing. And then we moved into the definition of love, 4 through 7. Now, on your outlines, we don't have it up on the screen today, but we do have it in your bulletins. And it says it's verse 1 through 8. And... Um, there again, uh, must be a typo. I don't know who did that. I think it's probably me. <laughs> no thinking about it. I know it is me. <laughs> I confess, I'm guilty. But it's actually 8 through 13. That's where we're at. We're not doing a review, although it would probably be really good if we did. But um, what we're going to have to do when we go through this section is keep in mind that we want to do proper hermeneutics. We don't want to interpret Scripture in light of everything that's going on around us and what this means to me, even though that is important. That's not what we do when we go into Scripture. Sunday school classes will ask you, what does this mean to you? And everybody turns out with about five or six different ideas of what that means. And I am not in favor of pooling ignorance. I'm in favor... (laughs) I'm in favor of, of seeing what does this passage mean? What is, what is Paul really saying here? So hermeneutics is going to take in the language. It's going to take in the context of where we've been in chapter 12. It's going to take in the context of where we've been in the first seven verses as he moves into this. And then chapter 14, because 12 through 14 is all in it together. Anybody that properly interprets this, who's written commentaries, who are well accepted, will say 12 through 14 is one great big lump sum. You have to interpret in light of that. So when we go into this, we're going to see how this part fits in with where we've been and where we're going. Now you remember the Corinthians, they had the showy gifts, they had all these gifts that stuck out that people would see, they had the speaking gifts. And when you see speaking gifts, people know, hey, that person really has that gift. And sometimes that person that has that gift will let you know about it. Or they assume that, uh, wow, look, I'm a little bit a little bit over you because I have this. I mean, that should never be that way in the Christian room. But uh, it, it, can, it can lead that way. So they had, uh, they had this, um, the idea of prophecy comes up. The idea of knowledge comes up. And the idea of tongues or languages. And the thing that they esteemed the most, it seemed to me, is their gifts that were showy. And in this sense here, the languages is uh, something that really stuck out in Corinth. And they were prideful over the fact that if they really had that gift, they really made it known how great they were. And so, and we'll, the reason I say that is when you get into chapter 14, um, that's what Paul is going to emphasize again. And he's really going to strike out at the fact of what their problem was. And in Corinth, it was their pride and their pride in their languages. And, and Paul soundly reproves, he rebukes them, he corrects them, and he proves that all the knowledge that they have all of the prophecy that they have, uh, the languages that they have, even though they had it and God gave those to them, compared to love, they are very short. And they're short-lasting. They were not concerned about the main thing. What's the main thing? Love. That is the emphasis that Paul is hitting on. Love versus gifts. They had the problem with the gifts. So that's what we're we're hitting on. It's about edifying other believers. Love is for the other person. And that's what we will see here. He's already stated that. He shows what it is. Now he hits on the main thing. uh, And we see that it is humble people who love. They are indicted here. The Corinthians are in that church. This is a masterpiece. It's an incredible masterpiece and it's inspired by the Holy Spirit, but at the same time, it's an indictment. It's very convicting 
to these people in the church and they should have been shamed. And I've got a feeling when Paul was done with this and sent that to them, it had to make an effect on them. And I would hope the Holy Spirit would have convicted their hearts and said, oh my, look what we've been doing. Uh, Love is the gift of all gifts. It's a permanent gift. All the spiritual gifts are uh, temporary. So let's get into this and uh, let's read starting at verse 8. Love never fails. But whether there are prophecies, they will fail. Whether there are tongues, they will cease. Whether there is knowledge, it will vanish away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part will be done away. When I was a child, I spoke as a child, I understood as a child, I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face, now I know in part, but then I shall know just as I also am known. And now abide faith, hope, love. These three, but the greatest of these is love. That verse 13 is really familiar, isn't it? Now abide faith, hope, and love. All all the Christian plaques and frames, all the gifts that you'll see this all over the place. Verse 8, love never fails. And uh, that is so, um, so true. Love never fails. What we do, we're going to interpret this by the way the... The text is written out and try to get as close as we possibly can here. Never fails. Love never fails. Uh, Pipto is the root word of that. Pipto is something that is falling. Something that is final. A final falling. A leaf that falls from the tree. And then we know that it uh, just blows away. Hopefully. Or you see them out there next spring. (laughs) Which is usually what happens to me. They never just fade away, you know. But um, I was talking to a guy, it's funny, you know, talking about leaves the other day, and he said, yeah, he raked all of his leaves together in the fall, and he said, um, they just all blow away. He says he gets them out there in one bunch and doesn't have to worry about them from there on out. And I'm going, boy, I wish that would happen to me, because I get all the neighbor's leaves, even when I do my own, and I only have like a couple of trees that really bring out a lot of leaves, but all winter long they gather up, and then all spring long, and for three or four weeks in a row I'll be out there just raking the leaves right back up, just the way that they were the week before. Okay, And it just doesn't seem like they go away where I'm at, but to him, he said, yeah, they're all gone. Well, he says, I'll just let the wind blow them away. And I'm thinking, "Uh uh-huh. Yeah, that's the kind of guy that lives around my neighborhood. (laughs) Leaves, eventually, though, will decay. They'll disintegrate, won't they? Matter of fact, it's good for the ground and plants and stuff. uh, What he's emphasizing here is that love will never disintegrate. Love will never decay. Love is permanent. It will never be abolished. It will never be done away with. It will always be here, now and forever. Love is the greatest. Love is eternal. Love is eternal. There will not uh, be anything that lasts like this love. Uh, uh, of course, the Word of God. Of course, that, that's all, and, and God, and His people. But that's what God has. Uh, God is, and then He also puts in us. I hear a little bit of a ring. I don't know whether that's in my microphone. Hello, hello. It's not ringing, is it? Anyway, sorry about that. Um, now, when you when you see the word fail, you think of success and failure a lot of times, right? Well, get that out of your mind on this one. Okay? Love never is done away with. Love is never decayed. Love is never... It's not so much failing in the sense, and I'm not trying to change that word, but the Greek word means uh, to fall, uh, to, to be abolished. And so he's emphasizing that love is permanent and it's not a matter of success or failure because sometimes you can love people or you can have love in a marriage 
and uh, at least on one party, and they just keep loving, and it seems like it fails because the marriage just falls apart and it disintegrates. You can say, well, love failed there. Or even in church or uh, relationships that people have, you can say, well, what happened? It just went into disaster. And you can't tell me that love never fails because I just keep on loving and look at what happens. Um, you don't necessarily look at the outward there. So we look at the word as far as success is concerned, but it doesn't really mean an opposite of not having success. It just doesn't decay. It's permanent. In 1 John 4.8, God is love. Right? That is His characteristic. He is that. It's not that He um, just practices it, but it, it's Him Himself. God is eternal. Love is eternal. So it's one thing that we know that does not change. Love is always the same. By the way, whether we have sinned or not sinned, did you know that God has the same amount of love as He always has had for you? Can you imagine that? Even when we have not approached Him in a holy way, He still has the same love. It never changes. It doesn't go up and down. We tend to do that with people, don't we? God's love is as steady as can be. It is perfect. You know, someday there won't be any need for the sense of faith or hope when we're in heaven. But love will always be there. It is the greatest. Love versus faith or hope. Faith or hope are fantastic. But the supreme characteristic, the supreme nature of God Himself is love. Now this is the emphasis. When we compare these, He's going to take three spiritual gifts that were rated at the, probably the highest among the Corinthians. He's going to take them, them and compare them with love. And they're not going to last forever. They're not in the same league with love. Now that is our approach as we head into there because that's what he has been leading up to here and we will now continue with that. He says, love never fails, but whether there are prophecies, they will fail. Whether there are tongues, they will cease. Whether there is knowledge, it will vanish away. Now we're going to work on that verse 8. This is, this is uh, hard stuff here. Uh, it's, it can be a little technical. But I think uh, we might turn this into a little bit of, of a teaching situation. I usually That's what I do. I teach, but I try to preach too, of saying that we need to bring this love into our lives more prominent outwardly and working on it within our families, within our church, within our um, contacts with people at work and just neighbors and, and such. We should desire, after we've been looking at this all this time, to really put that into action more than we ever have before, right? This is application. But we also want to uh, try to get this in our, our heads. What is Paul saying? We know Corinthians are impressed impressed by the showy gifts, speaking gifts. They're mentioned here, three of them. So he brings out the speaking gifts. And he says, prophecies, they will fail. Now that means to be done away with. Kartageo is the Greek word. Simply what that means is to be done away with, to, to abolish, to reduce to inactivity. That means one of these days, Paul is saying that prophecies are going to be done. Okay? That'll be it. There won't be any more need for it. The word is connected with um, also this word fail. My, my English uh, here says fail. King James. And you'll notice then it says there's another word that has uh, like knowledge. Now my version says vanish away, but there are two words here connected with prophecy and knowledge. Remember, there are three, three words all together. Prophecy, tongues, and knowledge. Okay, he takes prophecies and the word knowledge and it's the same Greek word which means done away. They'll both be done away with. They will kartageo. 
That's the Greek word there. That's for both of those. Now, why am I to New King James? They changed that in a translation. I don't know. But in the original language, um, that's what it is. And you can say, well, it means the same, doesn't it? Vanish away and fail. And I don't know what translations you guys have, different ones. And so you're going to have different uh, things happening. But you probably have the word prophecy. You have the word knowledge. And what's connected with that, what's going to happen to both of those, is cardigallo. And that means they're going to be rendered inoperative. Prophecy and knowledge is going to be rendered inoperative. That means they are verbs here and they are passive verbs. Something is going to be done with them. Something or someone is going to bring these to a halt. A screeching halt. A stop. And that's found in verse 10 when it says, But when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part will be done away. They will be rendered inoperative. When the perfect comes, and the ones that are in the partial, we'll explain that in a moment. So the spiritual gifts are temporal. They're not going to last into eternity. Not the way that it was used here in the early church. There was a reason why he brought prophecy and knowledge in. There's a reason why he's going to stop them. You say, well, that doesn't make any sense. Why wouldn't we have prophecy and, and knowledge in, 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 the, uh, in heaven, for instance? Why wouldn't we have that? And we'll explain that, hopefully, after a while. They're temporal. They're, coming to an end. They're going to come to an end. Getting revelation from God. When we say prophecies, we've kind of explained that gift. It means to prophesy, to proclaim. It really means, in its literal sense, to tell forth, to speak forth. It can be something that is in the future, like we think of prophecy. But that word entails proclaiming God's word, to speak forth, to tell forth. That's that's the simple meaning of it. There won't be any need for preaching when we have Christ right there with us. Man, I'm out of a job. And I'll, I'll just step aside. You don't need me anymore when you have Christ. And why would you? Right? And I don't care what. who is your favorite preacher. He's not going to be preaching you. And as far as knowledge goes, it says in Jeremiah 31 that everyone will know there will not be any need for teachers Boy, that's great. Those are going to be done away. Does that make sense? It should. It should. Shouldn't be any problem. There's going to be a limited time. Getting revelation from God and proclaiming it, like right now, what we're doing, we are actually speaking forth. You can say this is a prophecy that's given. It was already given two thousand years ago, but it's something that's repeated over and over and over again. Um, this, so you can see there's a limited time but it, it's going on right now isn't it we, we're proclaiming even today it's a blessing to have these gifts prophecy and, and knowledge prophecy is the ability to speak for God God would give the message back then to like the apostles the prophets who had that office as in Ephesians chapter 4 and they were then to edify the rest of the church. Well, they, they would write this new revelation. They would write it down. And then that message would be preached out. It's been going on for like that for the whole history of the church. And so this prophecy is reiterated over and over and over and over again. It is even today. It's a very important gift. It was back then, wasn't it? It was hugely important. Um, as they received the New Testament. And that's what we have. We have the New Testament. That was incredibly important. God communicated through the prophets and through the apostles. Then they handed it on down and uh, they wrote what we have here today and we still proclaim it today. We proclaim the Word. Uh, So you can see there is a need for this gift. We have it today. It's going on. Sometimes it it is going to end. The... The next word that we're doing with that uh, failing or vanishing away or done away with, he says that knowledge will be done away. 
and we don't really have to explain too much on that. We kind of have, but that's uh, people who were specially given divine revelation. Maybe uh, they received truth from certain uh, prophets and then they were able to understand that in a way. They could read the Scripture, let's say. Maybe they could read the Old Testament and uh, listen to the prophets of their day and draw conclusions that maybe not everybody else would. And uh, especially your, your pastor teachers would be able to pick that up and then be able to help define it to the other people in uh, the body of Christ, as in Ephesians 4. That's kind of how it works. They would draw conclusions of these truths and then make it um, something that can be understandable and, and applicable for the people. I think that this gift right here is happening today. We still have to gain knowledge of God. And uh, we, want, we want deeper knowledge of Him, don't we? We want to know the great depths of God's love, the height and the depth and the length and the breadth. We want to know everything that it can be because we're learning about the one we love the most. If you get married to somebody, you want to know as much as you can about them and you keep learning, right? That's what people do before they get married. They, they want to know who that person is. Hopefully they're doing that, right? And sometimes they find out who they really are and they decide, ooh, no way. <laughs> this is not going to work out. Okay, prophecy knowledge. They will be done away. That's, that's going to happen. I don't think it's happened yet. Uh, if, it, if it has, then uh, if we're interpreting those words yet, then what are we doing here, right? The, we have to cover the other word, and it's the, the in-between word. And it says, whether there are tongues, they will cease. And now we have a different word than the word for be done away. The word for cease is pao, P-A-U-O, in the Greek. And there is a definite difference when we draw this out. And uh, as we look into this, again, it's another speaking gift like the, like the other ones would be used. Uh, it's uh, having a language that has not been learned. The word there for tongues is glossa, glossa uh, which means language. A language, a language that you didn't learn, but somebody else has that can understand what you are saying, even though you don't even know that. You had these disciples that came from Galilee that um, knew one language, and the next thing you know, they were able to speak languages to people who had come from all over the world that had met at Jerusalem at Pentecost. And they were able to take it to foreigners, people who had come from the Greek world, all the way from Rome. And they were able to understand what was happening and understand the gospel. And Peter preached that message and everybody was able to understand um, the message of the gospel at, at that time. And so we know that that word has been used. It's a supernatural revelation. doesn't happen to everybody, but it, uh, it showed to others that this was legitimate. The apostles, whenever they went from Jerusalem to Judea, then to Samaria, to the other parts of the earth, we see that develop in Acts, Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 8, Acts chapter 10, Acts chapter 19, all the way on out into the Greek world, out to Ephesus, where uh, the tongues were used to people who didn't understand. And that verified to those people that what your gospel is, is true. And it's verifying to you that gave the gospel, like an apostle, that, hey, these people are true because they are able to speak in my I can understand. And so there's something here that is now bringing out evidence that what has just happened, that they have the Holy Spirit too. And they now are believers. And that spread out all the way to the world. So the point is, is that as important as knowledge is, as important as prophecy is, they're temporary as well as language uh, and, and, uh, or the tongues. Now, we are all aware, we're grown up people here, we're all aware that this is a big issue today. And I in no way try to uh, create any kind of animosity or try to, to create a hatred or to try to speak down to uh, people who would uh, say these languages are for today. It's a big issue. And we know and uh, that you, you can't miss it. It's all over radio, it's TV, the books. 
It's a great big huge thing. It's happened in many of our life uh, times um, where it has uh, been hugely advanced. And so my idea is not to attack it, but to say what was Paul saying here when he hit this and to take this language and use it. Um, at that time in Corinth, if they were using languages, they were considered to be people who were on a higher level. They were the spiritual people because look at them, they teach and they preach and look at look at him, he's he's speaking a language over there that I don't I can't even understand and he didn't even go to school for it. <laughs> and look at that, you know, and so they they would be wanting that or the, the people that have that would make them look a little bit higher. And matter of fact, even today that can happen. People can do that. And matter of fact, uh, nobody should even question them. If they have received a direct revelation from God and they're saying something that is new revelation, Nobody should question that because they have the anointing of God. I have been told that by people. You shouldn't ever question them because they were told by God that this is what is true. Well, God can definitely communicate with us. And see, you have to be very careful. There's a, there's a line here that um, we can't always tell. But when people make statements and they say it's directly from God and this is something new, I will tell you that that is not new revelation. It's something they thought of or they are trying to get up over the people because all the revelation we need is right here. We have a closed canon. Anything that we add here, if God is speaking new, then we need a new Bible. We need newer revelation that's continually put out here constantly. If it's something that's already in Scripture, then it's not new revelation anyway. And most often that's what it is. It's something spoken say, okay, well, oh yeah, that's right there in Ephesians chapter 4. Or, uh, oh yeah, that was taken out of Romans chapter 5. You know, and they'll come up with something and, and say, well, that's not new revelation. That's here. It, you, just, you just said something that I, I have been reading in my Bible for a long time. You see what I'm saying? I think it's very important because once we allow the fact that God is still revealing new truths today, does God speak to us? Yes. You read His Word, you have the Holy Spirit, you understand new spiritual things, but He gave us the Word of God which takes a lifetime to learn it. And you know what? I haven't even begun to know what this Word is. Every time I open it up, it's fresh constantly. This is the best way that God speaks to us. And so if we have another canon that goes on with this, then uh, I need to know. But I know in uh, John, who wrote Revelation, said at the end, don't let anybody add to this. Be careful. Or subtract from this. And he wrote the last book of the Bible. He was the last apostle writing. And I think there's something to be taken to that. I, uh, there would be a cursing if somebody did that. Now, there are people that will say they're prophets and they get direct revelation from God, but we can say, well, what about, uh, what about that? Well, I think we've explained that. What about the tongues? And uh, there are many uh, brothers and sisters that I have in Christ that um, they are really real. They really are. They're, they're uh, people who are led by God's Spirit. But they have a different understanding than I do. And I don't think that they would interpret this the way that we would here. Um, they would say that that is not really language there. It's, uh, and it's something that's maybe not necessarily even understandable. It might even be some gibberish. But you can't understand it. And chapter 14 takes care of that. If we were to go from 13 to 14, all in one sense, I think it would make... Uh, a lot of senses when we want because 14 is going to describe even more than what we are seeing here. But I know we have to be careful when, when I discuss this. But it's a passage that I, I can't just dismiss because it's in front of us. It's here. We have to focus on what, what's happening uh, at the time that Paul wrote it, what's happening uh, at the time that we live in today. Um, there are groups that really don't emphasize the Bible today. Uh, there are groups that really are not into doctrine, they're into experience. And matter of fact, they have gone over the Bible. They don't even need the Bible. Some have even said that. 
that go to many of these churches. I've, I've, heard, I've even heard that say, well, I have an experience with God and you can't take anything away from me. It's not that I'm arguing with them. I'm just saying maybe a straw man argument. But that's, that's really what um, you can hear when people are saying and saying, well, I, I would rather have an experience with God rather than have to study doctrine. I don't really care about doctrine because I have a relationship with Christ. That is an error that is despicable because this is how God speaks to us in the biggest way. And so when we see this word cease, the tongues will cease. That means it will come to an end. Now it sounds just like the other words that we've just used. Tongues will come to an end. Languages will come to an end. And it means to never start again. Pao is the sense that they will stop by themselves. Languages will stop by itself. The other one was a passive. Now I know we're getting real technical, but we want to get an understanding of, of really what was being said in the language that could be understood at that time. And that's why we're dividing this up, and I think that's why this will really make a lot of sense. Um, it's a middle voice. Not a passive voice, but middle voice. The middle voice is saying, there's going to be a time when the languages stop by themselves. Something will stop prophecy. Something will stop knowledge. But tongues, languages, is going to stop on its own. It's going to cease by itself. Now why would there be different verbs here? Well, we know that before prophecy and knowledge come to an end, because of the way that it's, it's sensed here, the languages here are already going to be faded away. Because you'll notice after verse 8, where you see all three of them there in verse 9, for we know in part, what word is that related to? Prophecy. And we prophesy, or knowledge, we know in part, and then prophesy in part. So they relate back to prophecy and knowledge. Languages is not even mentioned in verse 9, but it is an 8. And it says it's going to fade away. They are going to go out on their own. It's not going to go all the way up to the time period that languages and prophecy do. So this gift belonged to the apostles and certain other ones of that era. They confirmed the message that they had from God and they validated with the use of languages when they gave the gospel out to these people. Languages they didn't know. So he says one of these days that the languages are going to cease. They're going to just fade out and then that's it. Now, why cease? Why would they cease? Well, for one thing, the New Testament was a miracle age when you had Jesus and then the apostles on into the book of Acts. We see there was a great amount of... uh, Miracles, supernatural things that happen in a huge way that we don't see today. You can go back into time and go back to Elijah and Moses and they did great wonders and miracles and signs. And they had a word from God and that set up the time period of the prophets. And then you go all the way back to Moses who represented the law. And Moses, during that time, God did great miracles and did it through Moses. And of course, he, uh, you remember the, the snake and, and such that he had with his staff and uh, all the things that went on there in crossing the Red Sea and just one miracle after another all through the plagues. So that was Moses and the law. And then Elijah and Elisha are representing the prophets. God was validating to both of these groups at different times. And then Jesus comes on the scene who is in these last days the greatest or the revelation of who God is. In Hebrews chapter 1, we see that He is the very um, image of God. And uh, He's greater than anything ever. So Jesus did that. The apostles went on and carried that about. And so we see that uh, 
And we know in Joel it says at one time there will also be miracles, dreams, and visions as in Joel chapter 2. There was a, a little inkling of that at the very outset and Peter quoted from that. But during the, the kingdom, whenever Christ comes back um, during uh, that time period, then we'll also see these things happen um, in fulfillment of Joel 2, the return of Christ. That's one thing about the New Testament miracle age. There's a second reason. Uh, tongues are for a sign. They are for a sign of judgment. Um, Israel was judged by God. In 70 AD, the temple was destroyed and he sent people from a foreign country and uh, that would be considered the Romans and they came, they came with a different um, language and there was judgment upon the nation of Israel. And so it's a sign to unbelievers. If you turn to chapter 14, verse 21, you'll see what I'm saying. In the law it is written, With men of other tongues and other lips I will speak to this people, and yet for all that they will not hear me, says the Lord. Verse 22, Therefore tongues are for a sign, not to those who believe, but to unbelievers. Then he says prophesying is not for unbelievers, but for those who believe. So what's a big reason for the matter of tongues? You come to an unbeliever and you give him the gospel. Um, Even to the Jewish people who had not become believers, it was a sign of judgment to them. And if they didn't trust in Christ, um, then we have uh, judgment. And, of course, we saw that. that. That quote that Paul used in chapter 14 goes back to Isaiah 28, verse 11. Right out of the prophet. And that happened. As God said, there would be people coming to try that are going to conquer you as a nation. And He sent foreigners in. He sent the Babylonians in. He had sent the Assyrians in. They came in with different languages, different tongues and conquered the nation of Israel. He told them that. It happened. It's a sign of judgment. It happened um, in the early church. That's another reason. Another one is that tongues are limited in edification. According to 1 Corinthians 14, um, tongues are really uh, not the edification that prophecy is and, and wisdom. Another one is that the, there was a purpose for the apostles. In uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12, Truly the signs of an apostle were accomplished. You notice that's a past tense. Truly the signs of an apostle, it's not our being accomplished, but uh, this is later on as he writes, were accomplished among you with all perseverance in signs and wonders and mighty deeds. I think whenever he wrote 2 Corinthians, um, these languages probably were already, and even some of the miracles were fading out. It means to fade away. That was already happening. First Corinthians is the first letter written Matter of fact, they were recorded and finished, written down before the Gospels were. Even though in your in your Bible you have the Gospels that come before Corinthians, but as far as time is concerned, Corinthians is considered to be by the theologians probably the earliest writing that there was, and that's um, why we go into the next proof. Their use is mentioned only in the Book of Acts and the First Corinthians. In by the time of Acts 28, actually Acts 19, you have the Ephesian people who had been baptized in John the Baptist, and the truth comes to them, and there were signs there, a confirmation, a confirming. After that, you don't really see that, and you see by Acts 28, you see some um, the last of the miracles mentioned there. Does God do miracles? Yes, He does. But does he work it through as the gifts that happened quite frequently through the, uh, uh, the apostles? Well, as time went on, in Acts 28, and, and in chronology, there is really no other 
miracles that we'll see in the New Testament books. And you don't see speaking in different languages after the book of 1 Corinthians. That's something to take note. That's interesting. Um, Then you look at church history. You can say, okay. What we're saying is we're saying that this word pao in the way that we're seeing here and that being used as a gift, can God supernaturally use that on somebody in some way? I'm not saying that He can't. But as, as a gift that was practiced at that time in the early church, I would say I have to take this text and read it for what it is and then look at church history. What happened after the apostolic age? What we're doing in this, this cease means to fade away on their own and evidently as the Word of God was being accomplished and taken out to all the nations, then there was really no use for this because the Word now is given. People might be able to take that in language, but they're starting, they can already start taking it and putting it in their own language. Certain people who were gifted in putting that down. And there was a lot of copying of this even by the end of the first into the second century you have the early church fathers and most of their writings really were just like verses put together you can take all the early church writings and compile the whole New Testament except for maybe I think it's something like five verses or something it's incredible some people would say well you know how do we know we have the whole Bible well you can go back and look at the early church fathers and everything that we have uh, is today can be traced back through their writings of course, there was legitimate scripture. So, speaking in tongues or languages is nowhere hinted at in the very early church fathers. You would think it would have been. John doesn't mention it in Revelation. He doesn't mention it in First, Second, Third John. He's the last of the apostles that's still alive. Didn't say anything about it. You don't see anything after this First Corinthians twelve, thirteen, and fourteen. So we have to think, well, what happened to them if they really did cease them? What are you saying to me? Other people are saying that they are out there. Well, none of the early church fathers write about it. We don't see it here in the the Scriptures. Now, the early church fathers didn't write Scripture. Who wrote Scripture? The apostles or men right after them. And that was the new revelation, and that's how we knew, okay, it stops. They didn't start adding on new revelation. Here's what God told me, and they write it down. It's done, the canon is closed, and eventually it's put together a few hundred years later. But the thing is, it had already been done by the first century, and these epistles were being sent out all across the world, all the way to different churches. Now, Clement of Rome, and I have to give you a little bit of history, and I hope it's not boring, but we've looked at Scripture and say, well, what about history? Has there been tongues? Clement of Rome, who wrote to the Corinthians. Now, he's during the time of the apostles. He was a little bit younger than people like Paul. But during the very first century, he is considered the second in line. You have the apostles. Then after the apostles are done, no more apostles, right? Those, that was the building blocks. Ephesians says the church is built on the apostles and prophets. Now, he wrote to the Corinthians, the same church, possibly to some of the same people, and he wrote to them in that first century and he discussed their spiritual problems. They had spiritual problems, didn't they? And just because Paul wrote this letter didn't mean it was all over because we're still in this flesh, right? He never mentioned anything about tongues. Um, gifts uh, such as those um, that were really supernatural you would have thought would have been mentioned um, but evidently, I have to think a lot of the abuse that they had of their problem that we've seen uh, in Corinthians is now probably done. It's probably stopped. When the true gift was gone, there's really no reason to counterfeit it. It, it just kind of passed. So the fathers themselves immediately, um, in their writings, don't mention it um, you have the post-apostolic fathers that go into the 100s. That's the second century. And they were writing to actually every place in the whole Roman Empire. They just got busy and wrote and wrote and wrote. It's basically scripture. Maybe commenting on it. How many have heard of Justin Martyr? 
Justin Martyr is one of those early church fathers that is respected by all the church today. And he died in 165. So uh, half of that century, just right after the apostle John had died, you have Justin Martyr. Uh, and he knew. He knew of these apostles. He had extensive travels and extensive writings. You can just look it up. Now, there was uh, also an apostle like uh, Polycarp, for instance, who was right underneath John. He preached where John had preached. He knew John. Didn't mention anything about it. Justin Martyr said uh, that there was never really anything like the spiritual gifts like the tongues. Origen even wrote in 185 to 253, now we're getting into the 2nd and the 3rd century, widely read scholar, voluminous works. I mean volumes and volumes that Origen wrote. He never mentioned it. Matter of fact, he had an apologetics against a guy by the name of Celsius who was very famous at the time. And... um, Of course, Origen was very famous. And he explicitly argued that the signs of the apostolic age were temporary and no contemporary Christians within that time experienced any of the ancient prophetical gifts. That's what he said. And the early church fathers that are well respected, either they are silent on it or they speak out and say, it's not here anymore. Moving on to Chrysostom. And when you search this out, you can say, that's interesting. If it did cease, it's not mentioned. I don't see it in the apostles' writings after a certain period of time. Now I'm not seeing it all during the early church. Chrysostom in 347 said the greatest of all, he's considered to be the greatest of all ancient Christian writers to some. He commented on 1 Corinthians, where we're at right here. He wrote wrote like a commentary. And he said, this whole phase is so obscure to us that we are ignorant of this kind of thing happening in the church today. They have ceased. And so there was a cessation that he reported. If you go to Augustine, who is probably the greatest, one of the greatest theologians of the church ever. A great theologian. Augustine said, In the earliest times the Holy Spirit fell upon them that believed and they spoke in tongues. These were signs adapted to the time, for they behooved to be that betokening of the Holy Spirit. That thing was done for betokening and it passed away. Or vanished or ceased or pao. So now just looking at it legitimately, tracing through, you say, what was this? What what was going on? The greatest theologian of the church, the ancient church, um, said there was no kind of practice associated with the tongues. Uh, it was a part of the apostolic age. And by the 4th and 5th century, they didn't even really know what it was. They said it's there, it happened, but it wasn't here anymore. As a matter of fact, they said it was dead. Now remember that word, towel, if it did fade out and it was stopped, that means it can't start back up again. Okay? That's the technicality of that language. Now, just a footnote to add to this. I know I'm going through a lot of history, but I hope it will help us know the Word of God uh, a little better. Uh, There was a guy by the name of Montanus who claimed that he spoke in tongues around 150. Now, this is in the 2nd century. Montanus was... uh, and uh, He had a follower by the name of Tertullian who was an early church father, and in some respects he uh, has some interesting... Uh, notes, but he claimed a gift. But I hate to tell you, these guys were basically pagans. They were not included as a part of the church in a lot of ways. They were more or less considered out, outcasts. Montanus was a pagan priest, and he supposedly converted to Christianity. He believed that the sole voice of the Holy Spirit was in the whole world, and he was accompanied in ministry by female priestesses who spoke in a static speech. 
And we know where that ecstatic speech might have come from. The church dismissed him as a heretic. And uh, Tertullian's testimony was reported uh, as in mentioning tongues in the writings of the fathers. And in the fathers, they were said to be heretics. We're talking about the ones who really were the, the good, solid writers in the scripture. Now, the next eruption of tongues comes within Christianity, that would be in Christendom, was in a group called the Levinal Prophets. And are you ready for this? In 1685, now that's about a thousand years, you don't hear anything about uh, bringing this up. It was no part of the Reformation, but the gift of prophecy and ecstatic utterances was claimed by some persecuted Protestants, and they were in southern France. And you say, aha, uh-huh, wonder what's going on here. And uh, there were very young children who knew only the local dialect, and then they spoke in perfect French while they were in a trance. It's been stated. Well, the group was discredited because of their night raids and military reprisals against their enemies and because all their prophecies that they made that was going to happen in the future were not fulfilled. They were unfulfilled. They were written off. So whenever tongues does show up, it shows up in heretical if not demonic context. There were the group called the Jansenites. They were Roman Catholic reformers who opposed the Reformation. And about 1731, they held meetings in the graveyards and reportedly spoke in ecstatic tongues. Then there was another person led by Mother Anne Lee. And some of you heard of these people called the Shakers. And they would have divine revelation and she was regarded as the female uh, principle in Christ. She is really how Christ has showed himself here on earth through her. And she taught that the second coming of Christ was fulfilled in her. And so there you have a group uh, receiving uh, divine revelation and they had uh, sexual relationships and marriages were actually corrupt. Matter of fact, it even came to the point where they didn't have, they could not have sexual relations, and this group finally died out. I wonder why. Even in marriage, they couldn't procreate. They were not to do that. Needless to say, um, these movements are something very questionable. The evidence that they had speaking in tongues. Do you see anybody legitimate? Uh, during this time. People are discredited for um, the revelations that they had. Their prophecies were unfulfilled. Supposed healings would then be followed by death and rumors of immorality and confessions of members being involved with fraud. And I say, wow. Um, In 1901, all of a sudden it pops back up again. It's called the Modern Pentecostal Movement. Uh, It was at Bethel Bible College. Agnes Osmond uh, received a baptism of the Holy Spirit and tongues and the movement was born. It came to California. And uh, as you know, a lot of things happen in California. Um, In California, the charismatic movement was born in Van Nuys. Also in 1906 was Azusa Street in, uh, in L.A., and there was a baptism of the Holy Spirit claimed and speaking in tongues was claimed and so the revelation, revolution took place and that was Pentecostalism as we know it today. Charismatic movement, Van Nuys, uh, started by another questionable person, Dennis Bennett, who has been uh, referred to as one who's been involved in the New Age. Problems uh, continued. What is this? Then? What's going on? Think back at Delphi, which is near Corinth, in A.D. 44 to 117, they received, um, the goddesses received uh, revelation. They had priests and witch doctors. You can go all over the world and go to Haiti and Asia and Africa and Australia and South America and they're speaking a static speech. The Buddhists speak it. Shinto priests do it. Spiritists do it. But it's never really been part of the mainline church uh, since it ceased. What is it? Does it come from demons? 
Could be. If it comes from those, um, I think that could be. I think it's a learned behavior because they tell you how to do it. Just count to ten. Ten. Keep doing it. Say your ABCs. Say it a hundred times in a row and all of a sudden you'll do it. And that's You'll talk to people and they'll say, yeah, that's how I learned how to do it. Um, there's also, um, I think, a psychotechnological phenomenon that can happen when they're told to empty their minds. Don't think about anything. Just let, let it come out of your mouth. Just let it go. And they, they teach people how to do it. A static state of intense emotion. Uh, some people can get hypnos- uh, hypnotized out of it. Um, I say that that can be very phony. I don't think it's the real thing that was happening here. That's how we can get fooled, though. And that's how it's uh, gone on in the church. The point of all of this, though, is not to try to divide over with people, but to look at the Scripture and the text and say, well, you know, there can be impacts made. and It seems real. It seems like this and that. But the point is all these things will stop somewhere along the line. If you have something that fades out and these other ones, prophecy and knowledge, is finally finished, then, hey, so be it. Fantastic. It's just baby stuff. What's going to happen in the future is that we won't need those things. It's not that great big of a deal. It's a, it's a good thing that the church has gifts today, that we can use them and uh, that we can edify. That's what God has used. It's great that we have the Word of God, but we're not going to be carrying around Bibles in heaven. Did you know that? You won't even be able to buy a book. You won't be able to go to a bookstore there. Fantastic. You know why? It's going to be here. And we'll have the great teacher with us always. And so all these things, are, they're all partial. It's not a great big deal. You know, look in verse 10. And I think it's fascinating. Or verse 9. For we know in part, and prophesy in part. He doesn't even put tongues there this time. He says, knowledge is partial and prophecy is partial. But then that which perfect has come, then that which is impartial will be done away. They will be cat and stopped. Oh, are you getting the idea? Even prophecy and knowledge are going to stop where it looks like the languages have already ceased, maybe during when it might have been happening later on, as Paul uh, ventured in his apostolic career, that it just faded out. There were times when people couldn't, they, they didn't even heal themselves. Drink a little wine. That was Second Timothy, way past. That was the last letter that Paul wrote. And so well into the 60s. Um, what's going on? The perfect is teleon. This would be the eternal heavenly state of believers. When we meet Him face to face. Look in verse um, 12. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. For I know in part, that's partial, but then I shall know just as I also am known. I don't have that great knowledge right now, but eventually well, I'm going to see Him as He is. All these gifts are going to finally be done. He's had different times when they ended. But gifts are childish in a sense. Did you know that we're little children? We are not grown up. We have not arrived yet. We're just like babies. We are. So He gives us the things we need today, which later on will seem like toys. It'll seem like candy when we see how great things are there and we will see them as they are. The mirrors that they used were bronze. And it was, you know, you couldn't see in it very good. And you could see reflection, but it wasn't clear. And we see in that mirror dimly. What we have here now is fine, but I'll tell you what, Paul is saying, you guys are making such a big deal all of this. And I want to tell you, if you have love... That's what it's about because that's going to go all the way to the end. Are you seeing what's happening here? He has built up and built up in this and he's not finished because he's going to do that chapter 14. But uh, we're immature. We're childish. We're imperfect. We're limited. Uh, knowledge will be done away with. We'll have the knowledge. We will not have uh, that. We'll have full revelation of God. Faith and hope, says in verse Thirteen now abide faith, hope, and love. These three are the greatest of these in love. Faith and hope, great. 
you can see faith, hope, and love scattered all out in Paul's epistles he, where he puts them together, right? In a matter of maybe two, three verses. First uh, John four eight, God is love. God does not have faith. God does not have hope. He is love. He doesn't have to believe. To hope is being confident something's going to happen, but uh, you hope because you can't see it yet. We live by faith and not by sight. God already knows this. He's not a God of faith. We have to have faith though to believe in Him. Faith comes from Him, but He is not a God of faith. He's a faithful God. Love will be just, will be for us. And this is just the beginning. If we're just now learning what love is as we counter interact with each other and the whole body and then all of uh, the areas of where we have in our lives, this is why love is greater. It'll extend on out. The beauty of this is that we can show and we can practice this love. We can do it right now. And it's the link between God and us. Love. It's more important than any of the virtues that you see that are important even now. But love goes much, much higher. Well, that ends that section. And next week, we will um, probably have a resurrection message and then we'll continue further with that. But anyway, quite, quite lengthy there, quite much the depth, but I hope that technical language is broken down in a sense that is understandable. Let's have a word with